Welcome back to the Eight Limbs Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Wagner, and I think our last podcast was a couple weeks ago, so we got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, the most important event over the last few weeks in Muay Thai, and one that truly shocked the Muay Thai world, was famed Muay Thai black belt Tiago Santos losing to Glover Teixeira at UFC Fight Night, whatever the fuck. But I know that's what you guys want to hear about most, so instead we'll save the best for last and start by discussing the rest of the Muay Thai action over the past few weeks. On Friday, November 6th, there was a star-studded True For You card featuring Runkit War Samprapai and Sangmini in the main event. Sangmini's been on a little bit of a skid lately. He's coming off a three-fight losing streak, uh, so it was nice to see him get back into the win column here against Runkit. It was a really close fight, too. Um, be interesting to see a rematch between those guys down the line. Initially, it was a pretty slow open space kicking match. Runkit was using a lead ba- lean back, lead leg body kick to intercept Sangmini's entries early in the fight. Uh, and he was using a harder rear leg low kick to chip away at range. Sangmini increasingly started trying to draw the kicks out by feinting, and he would double up on his own body kicks to try and bypass Runkit's checks. But Runkit's balance was pretty good, and he had success teeping Sangmini off when he tried to do those kicking combinations. So he would throw one kick, Runkit would check, and then as he's loading up for the next one, Runkit would teep him off. Runkit was mostly content to sit along the ropes early in the fight and counter Sangmini's entries, uh, while occasionally finding harder rear leg kicks and checking Sangmini's kicks of his own. Sangmini tried closing distance with a Superman punch often, but didn't really get much done there. Runkit took an early lead with slicker outside kicking, but in the fourth round, Sangmini was able to force some more open space kicking engagements where he was able to score. Runkit got up early in round four, but Sangmini increasingly had success punching off his kicks. Uh, when, when he'd throw a body kick and Runkit would lift his leg to check, Sangmini would immediately plant and throw the right hand or the left hand because he's southpaw as he came down. And he did this to Tao and Chai in their second fight. And that's how he beat Tao and Chai, uh, where initially in their first fight, Tao and Chai was consistently catching his kicks and countering. Uh, Sangmini started putting those left hands behind his kicks. So he, Tao and Chai would have to choose between defending the body or defending the head. And it kind of gave him that dual threat so he couldn't easily defend or counter his kicks. And he did that against Runkit here. Um, after Runkit took an early lead in the fourth, Sangmini landed some punches off his kicks. And then he followed Runkit back to the ropes and had a lot more success attacking with pressure that time. He was using feints to confuse Runkit's check and slotting in those double body kicks over his leg. And because Runkit started biting on the feints a lot more, uh, his check would be a little bit slower because he wasn't sure when Sangmini was throwing a committed kick or when he was just doing an entry feint. So Sangmini was able to sneak a lot of those over his leg and hit him in the arms. Runkit was forced to chase in the fifth round after Sangmini got up in the fourth and Sangmini was able to lead him into a few kicks and punches before playing keep away and dancing off. It was a pretty close fight, um, so I imagine they'll do a rematch at some point. Runkit had some success in the clinch with knees, but he didn't push it too much, so that could be a potential avenue for him to attack in the rematch. The co-main on that Friday card was Rungarai Kiatmukau against Poinkon Tor Surat. Rungarai is ranked number one in Rajdamnern's 115-pound division right now, while Poinkon is ranked number three. 
uh, they were fighting at Rungarai weighed in at 114 pounds, while Poincon weighed in at 116, so Rungarai was giving up 2 pounds. They fought a couple months ago, and Rungarai pretty much dominated him, just easily outslicked him on the outside, uh, rocked him with a really cool question mark kick. Poincon was much better prepared this time, though. Uh, his kicks constantly got countered in the last fight, uh, but he was setting them up a lot better against Rungarai this time. He used punches to get Rungarai blocking high and backing away before kicking the body or hopping outside with a hip feint before kicking. Uh, in the first fight, Rungarai was pretty easily able to just pull from his kicks, so Poincon would try to kick him in the body, and Rungarai would just pull his upper body back and then return with a kick or a hook of his own. Poincon also committed heavily to counter-kicking. Whenever Rungarai landed a kick, uh, he would either just kick right back or parry the kick across his body a little bit and then counter. Rungarai was still out slicking him at kicking range. He was pull countering his kicks and intercepting Poincon's punch entries with kicks often, uh, but Poincon was keeping it a lot more competitive and forcing Rungarai to do more work on the lead at some points, which Rungarai is not as comfortable doing. Later in the third round, Poincon pushed into the clinch and stumbled Rungarai with an elbow as Rungarai was extending his arms to frame off. After that, Rungarai really had to pick up the volume and chase in order to, to get the point back, and he's a lot less comfortable doing that. Uh, he came out a lot more active in the fourth round, looking to take it back. He was kind of putting it on Poincon. He was outkicking him comfortably, uh, using a spear elbow to intercept Poincon's blitzes. But later in the fourth round, Poincon, he would tr he'd tried a, a shifting upwards elbow a few times, and Rungarai was able to block it uh, by raising his own elbow. Rungarai would kind of fold his elbow in to, to land that spear elbow when Poincon come forward, and it would block Poincon's own elbows. But... Near the end of the fourth round, Poincon entered with his left hand outside of Rungarai's arm. So instead of just coming at it with the elbow that would be blocked, he, he reached outside the arm and kind of like showed a hand trap. Rungarai initially had his, his elbow in position to block that and to land a spear elbow. But because Poincon came outside the arm, he kind of opened it a little bit. And Poincon used that to sneak an elbow up the middle inside. And he finished Rungarai with that. Made me sad because I love Rungarai, but it was a great knockout as well. Rungnarai, his last fight was against Satan Winglek, CP Freshmart, and he lost kind of the same way. He was doing well kicking on the outside, but Satan Winglek dropped him with an elbow in the clinch. His chin and weakness to elbows has been kind of a persistent weakness throughout his career. He got knocked out a couple years ago, I think, as well by Yoth and FA Group with a big upwards elbow in the clinch. I suspect these guys will probably rematch soon because they're 1-1 one one on the year. Uh, I think Rungnarai, I like Rungnarai in a rematch because he was doing really well on the outside, and even though Poincon was setting up his kicks better and landing them, he was still getting pretty comfortably outkicked. So hopefully Rungnarai can figure out an answer to the elbows in his next fight with Poincon. Um, also on the card was Pet, Pet Somjit, Jitmoying Non versus Shanalert Manayathan. Pet Somjit is the Rajadamner 112 pound champ. Shanalert is the Lumpany 115 pound champ. They were fighting here at 114 pounds. Uh, Pet Somjit was using a lot of in and out feigning and non-committal low kicks in order to freeze Shanalert early in the fight. Shanalert is a really powerful pressure boxer, and he's quite a bit bigger than Pet Somjit. Pet Somjit usually works a lot in the clinch, but he was notably hesitant to exchange with Shanalert or close distance on him here, because Shanalert is a much more powerful, bigger puncher. Pet Somjit usually squares up a lot while using kind of throwaway punches. He'll like he'll march forward in a square stance and throw alternating straights with both hands to distract guys, and then follow up with a clinch or with a kick to the body as they're backing up. He wasn't doing that too much here because, as I said, he was hesitant about Shanalert's power. Uh, he was doing a really good job setting up his entries, though, and making sure that when he did commit on the lead, that Shanalert wasn't in a position to deliver his power on him. So he would feint in with body kicks. He'd do those skipping hit feints, 
uh, where you hop step in while kind of cocking your hip like you're about to throw a body kick. Adesanya does that a lot. And then when Chandler went to counter, he would either kind of skip back a little bit and slide the kick under his arm or if Chandler backed up he would continue and land a body kick as he was on the back foot and not in position to counter punch. Uh, Fatsamjit also did a really good job counter punching himself which I was really impressed with. For somebody who's not a boxer and does most of his works with kicks or in the clinch, Fatsamjit uses his hands quite intelligently even if they're not a main focus. Uh, in his last fight, I forget who he was fighting, but he landed some really slick counter punches there while he was coming forward just to dissuade the guy from countering his clinch entries when he was pressuring. And he, he landed some choice counter punches here against Chandler just to make him a little bit hesitant to pressure. Chandler was looking to jab into range or to set up knee entries, and Petsomjet landed some counter punches, slipping the jab, or as Chandler marched forward to knee, that kind of put him off pressuring and made him more content to stay at range and get picked apart by Petsomjet. Another thing I really liked that Petsomjit did is that after Chandler kicked, Petsomjit would follow him up with a skip feint while he was just uh, recovering his leg from the kick and get him backing up before he landed a kick as Chandler exited. So when, when Chandler kicked the body and he was still a little bit off balance recovering his leg, Petsomjit would just kind of skip into range and like threaten him, just immediately fill that space with his presence and make Chandler react. And because he wasn't back in his stance comfortably, he, he would panic just a little bit um, and go on the back foot really quickly, which gave Petsomjit an opportunity to, to land the body kick. Chandler came out pressuring heavier in round four. He was able to get Petsomjit on the ropes more, whereas before Petsomjit was um, kind of like pivoting out when Chandler would commit to attacks. But in the fourth, Chandler was able to stuff him up against the ropes a little bit more and force him to stand still where he could land his body kicks. Uh, he also tried a lot of punching flurries, but those didn't have too much effect as Petsomjit did a really good job keeping himself safe with a long guard, and when Chandler opened up with the punches, he would be able to slip outside and pivot out off the ropes. In round 5, Petsomjit mostly played keep away and tied Petsomjit, or tied Chandler up in the clinch when he came forward with punches. It was a really impressive defensive performance from Petsomjit, especially because he was fighting a guy who is naturally a lot bigger than him, and he was hesitant to use his, one of his biggest weapons in the clinch due to Chandler's size and strength. So I was really impressed with Petsomjit there. As for Shanalert, he's been kind of picked apart in back-to-back -back fights now with a Petsomjit loss and then his loss to Petsomai before that. Both those guys are strong back foot kickers, so hopefully he kind of grows, goes back to the drawing board a little bit, figures out how to implement his pressure better against guys that can lead him into those counter kicks, and it'd be nice to see him get an e a bit of an easier matchup for him, somebody who likes to come forward and clinch, or another Moy Matt. I really like seeing Chandler's boxing combinations. He's one of my favorites to watch. The day after the Sangmini fight on the 7th, there was another big card that was capped off by Gaynar PK Sainchai versus Superbone. This isn't the Superbone that's in one kickboxing right now. This is a clincher at 135 pounds in Muay Thai. Gaynar is ranked number 3 at Roger Damner's 135 pound division right now. And Superbone, as far as I can tell, is not ranked, but he's been an elite fighter for quite a long time. Gaynar and Superbone have fought two times before, and Gaynar won both of those fights. Gaynar is a really slick outside kicker who is also very good in the clinch, and Superbone is mainly a clincher. In their previous fights, Gaynar was mostly able to kick him up on the outside, and then when Superbone would rush into the clinch, he'd be able to grab a body lock and either sweep him or stall him out. Superbone's pressure was a lot more measured this time, which allowed him to get into the clinch without giving up those easy body lock entries. Superbone's jab was really active as he pressured, which allowed him to kind of occupy Gaynar's vision and set up his clinch entries more methodically, while also backing him up with that jab. 
He also did a much better job with his balance in the clinch. In previous fights, Gaynar was able to sweep him or throw him in the clinch quite a bit, but he had pretty much no success with that here. Superball was stalking patiently early on, using hard leg kicks to rack up some attritional damage in the first couple rounds, and throwing punch-kick combinations once he got Gaynar to the ropes. He was walking Gaynar down in a steady, measured fashion and lifting up his rear leg as he marched forward, which allowed him to keep that check up and block Gaynar's open side kicks. Superbone, uh, initially in the fight, he was just kind of backing Gaynar up with a jab and kicking him, but he started clinching in the third round and was able to do a lot of good work with knees, mostly on the entry. After they actually got into the clinch, um, Gaynar would usually be able to get a body lock or an over-under and stall it out. But when Superbone was entering the clinch, he landed some really good knees. He would enter behind the jab to, to get Gaynar countering or distract him with that, and then step into knees while grabbing the head. Or another thing that I liked a lot that he did was closing distance behind a high guard and just waiting for, just eating up space and waiting for Gaynar to reach out and frame off. And then once Gaynar was trying to push him away, he would weave his hands inside Gaynar's elbows and control the frames and then enter the clinch. He was also using a nice shifting entry. He was in southpaw advancing forward and he would shift to orthodox while kind of sidestepping around Gaynar to enter the clinch on a side angle and get to a cross face where he could throw knees from. Superbone's guard was really effective in this fight. Gaynar was trying to hook around the sides and throw straights up the middle when he was pressuring into the clinch, but um, Superbone would alternate between a long guard and a high guard to protect himself upstairs well. Gaynar did a good job preventing longer clinch exchanges by tying up, but occasionally Superbone would kind of sneak around the side of Gaynar's underhook while wrapping the head and then limp arm out to his own underhook in order to reestablish a control position and knee from there. It was kind of like the, the limp arm that you saw in Cormier's fight with Stipe Miocic, where he would let Cormier, or Cormier would let Stipe get the underhook, then angle off to the side a little bit to create space between that underhook and his own back and then just kind of slide the arm around his head down, weave into his own underhook, and then punch off that. Gaynar started having more success in round four with uh, countering around Superbone's guard, and he landed some nice counter elbows as Superbone marched into the clinch, but Superbone was still able to get in consistently and do work with knees. Superbone kept up his pressure for most of the fight, and Gaynar was kind of overwhelmed. By the end of the fifth round, Superbone was fighting off the back foot and kind of dancing off. Gaynar tried to come forward and put punch flurries back on him to take the fight back, but he couldn't really do enough, and Superbone won a pretty clear, comfortable decision. Seoek, Sichabuntham, and Kumendoi fought in a rematch on the same card. Seoek is the Rajadamner and 122-pound champ, while Kumendoi is ranked number one at Rajadamner's 118-pound division. Kumendoi had recently beat Seoek's brother, Seodo Sichabuntham, uh, twice in a row, and he fought Seoek himself a couple months ago. Seowak won that fight mostly through blitzing in and out and intercepting Kumandoi's committed punches with clinch entries. Kumandoi is a very powerful pressure striker. He's an excellent counterpuncher, one of the best counterpunchers in Muay Thai. He has a great counter left hook, and he's good at countering in combination. When guys try to try to punch him or kick him, he's good at slipping or blocking it, and then coming back with like a three-punch combination into a kick. Seowak is a blitzer. He does a lot of work at range with body kicks, and he's good in the clinch but most of his offense is from quickly closing distance with elbows or knees. In their first fight, Seowek was blitzing in and out well and intercepting Kumandoi's committed punch entries with clinch entries. Kumandoi made much more of a commitment to feigning this time. He would bounce his lead leg up and down rhythmically to show kicks and constantly show entry feints and hip feints. Uh, this made Seowek more hesitant to blitz and he was more reactive on the outside. Near the end of the first round, Kumandoi managed to use one of those entry feints to draw a blitz out of Seowek, 
and he dropped him with a check hook while Seoek was squared up. That was in the first round, and after that, Seoek came out on fire and immediately tried making up for getting dropped, blitzing into heavy punching combinations and elbows. Kumandoi fought off the back foot for the rest of the fight and was trying to protect that big lead he got after dropping Seoek in the first. Seoek would also feint his blitzes into a lead leg head kick, which worked well as Kumandoi likes to catch kicks underarm. He was doing this to Seoto, Seoek's brother, a lot. When Seoto would throw a head kick or a body kick, he would quickly hop into close distance to smother the kick while keeping his hand low and then grab it from underneath and toss him on his head. But the key to those underarm catches is that you need to be closing distance and smothering the kick, otherwise you'll just get kicked in the head. And Seoek was able to show the blitzes, so he would get Kumandoi backing up rapidly to avoid the blitz, and then he'd kick him on the way out, so Kumandoi wouldn't be able to close distance and smother that, and he would just eat the kick. Kumandoi was still having success using check hooks to counter Seoek's blitzes, lead leg body kicks to counter his more methodical entries, and he was having success with the lead leg teep, but he sacrificed a lot of his offense by fighting off the back foot so early and protecting his lead, as he does his best work pressuring, so he was a lot more reactive than he likes to be. Usually he likes to, he's a great counterpuncher, but he forces people to make bad decisions with his pressure, and then counters as they kind of lash out. But here he was waiting on Seoek and giving him the initiative, so Seoek could feint in and out and set up his blitzes really easily. Kumandoi was initially using body lock entries to grab and hold when Seoek got aggressive with his punch combinations, but Seoek started slowing down on his punches, using more methodical punch entries to enter the clinch himself or blitzing into the clinch, and he would work from a cross face or a frame um, and kind of slice Kumandoi up with elbows or knees. Seoek's blitzing elbows increasingly got through as the fight went on. He began hopping in to close distance with his lead leg raised, so Kumandoi couldn't counter him with those body kicks. The fourth round went really bad for Kumandoi, and Seoek was able to feint in and out and slice him up with those elbow blitzes. He got cut on his face and eye repeatedly, and the fight was stopped late in the fourth round due to a series of bad cuts on Kumandoi's face. It was a great fight, a lot of action, and a super impressive comeback from Seoek. I read on Twitter that after the first round, the gamblers had Seoek down as a 40-1 to underdog. So crazy comeback, but on Kumandoi's part, probably a bad decision to try and protect the lead so early, with so much time for Seoek to come back. If he'd kept the pressure up until like halfway through the fourth round, he probably would have been able to, to put more offense on Seoek to slow down his volume and not give him as much a chance to get in. And like I said, Kumandoi does his best work off the front foot, so by backing up and trying to protect the lead so early, he was probably doing himself a disservice. The next fight on this card was Boonlong Peindi versus Fapanung PK Sainchai at 123 pounds. Boonlong is currently ranked number 9 in Rajad Amnern's 122 pound division, although the only rankings I can find are from February, and since then Boonlong has beaten a couple top fighters, so I'd, I'd have him somewhere around the top 4. I don't have official rankings for that though. Boonlong is known for his terrifying left kick. His last two fights against, I think it was Saxri, Kiatmukau, and Pet Salmon, he finished them both in the second round with kicks on the arm. He has, I would say, the most powerful and scariest left kick in Muay Thai today, and Fapanung was well prepared to avoid it. Fapanung came out immediately, feigning in and out to draw out Boonlong's kicks and using a forward check on his rear side to dissuade it. So when he was coming forward, instead of stepping forward with his lead leg, he would draw his rear leg up and point it forward to, to block those kicks. He started pressuring into the clinch heavily in round two, hopping in behind that forward check on his rear side, and shifting forward to block the kicks on the open side while pushing Boonlong back to the ropes at the same time. And once he had Boonlong on the ropes, he would enter the clinch and go to work with knees. Fapanung was able to consistently get to a lock in the clinch and work from knees there. Uh, he 
One thing I really liked from him, he would use an uppercut elbow when Boon Long was on the ropes as an entry directly into his lock. So he would, he would throw that elbow, and even if Boon Long slipped it, the elbow would still be there right behind the head, and then he could just kind of slide his arm around the head, lock it together, and then go to work with knees. Boon Long tried to sweep a little bit when Fapanung was coming in on one leg, hopping forward with that forward check pointed out, but he quickly found himself pushed back too much to do that consistently. Later on in the fight, Boon Long started countering the clinch entries with elbows, and he had some success with that, but Fapanung wasn't dissuaded, and Boon Long quickly gassed and got overwhelmed in the clinch. It was a really nice performance from Fapanung, especially considering how potent Boonlong's kicks were, and he pretty much just completely shut that down. As for Boonlong, this fight showed a pretty big weakness in the mid-clinch range for him. Like I said, Fapanung was getting to his locks pretty much whenever he wanted, and if you watch um, kickers or famuse who are better at shutting down clinchers, they'll rarely give up clean and easy locks like that. Like Taoenchai, PK Saienchai does a lot of work on the outside with kicks, and when guys try to come forward and clinch him, he'll either frame off and extend his arms to hand fight, frame off their face and prevent them from getting a lock in the clinch, or he'll close distance himself and get to a, a more desirable position in the clinch. Uh, so if you can get to like a 50-50 position, you can use that to stall or turn, o- turn away from the ropes and break off and get back to the center of the ring. But Boonlong would just kind of accept Fapanung's lock, and he wasn't doing much to prevent him from getting in clean on those locks. Something to work on for Boonlong there. Finally, on that Saturday card, Chorfa Tor Sangtinoy fought Luknamit Singh Klongzi. Chorfa is ranked number 7 at Rajadamnarin's 130-pound division right now, where Luknamit is lo- ranked number 3rd at Rajadamnarin's 126-pound division. Chorfa is a really technical pressure fighter who is great at mid-clinch range. Uh, he uses leg kicks really well to rack up attritional damage early, then works into mid-clinch with his frames and elbows later on. Luktamit is a... he's been around forever. I think he's like 34 at this point, so unusual longevity for a Muay Thai fighter. Uh, he's pretty good at everything. He's great in the clinch. Uh, he's a good outside kicker too. Chorfa came out stalking Luktamit slowly, using the threat of his jab and teep to back him up, and working with consistent lead leg kicks to the body and legs to hurt him into harder rear leg low kicks as he circled off. Chorfa was relying on the lead leg to cross-check as he pressured. A lot of times you'll see guys who like to pressure within their stance without squaring up use those cross-checks because you can you can keep advancing within your stance and check while moving forward by lifting your lead leg up and using it to check both the rear leg and lead leg kicks, whereas clinchers who fight more square and don't need to be in their stance so much will more often use their rear leg because they don't need to be in their stance to punch and kick. They're more usually more focused on closing into the clinch. Uh, so Chorfa was relying on his lead leg to cross-check when Luknamit threw his lead leg kicks. So Luknamit started mixing up his kicks really well and trying to move around Torfa's check. He would alternate lead leg kicks and rear leg kicks quickly um, and in combination. So Chorfa would have to draw his leg out to block the rear leg kicks and then draw it in to block the lead leg kicks. And he kept him guessing and was able to score some clean kicks in the arms by moving the check around. In round three, Luknamit came out aggressively trying to clinch and it proved to not be a great decision. In his prime a long time ago, he could have clinched successfully with Chorfa, but he's older now. His chin isn't as good as it used to be, and he was moving up here, so he was at a pretty big strength disparity. Luktamit was focused hard on locking in the clinch. He was trying to wrap around Chorfa's head and hold him to land knees, but Chorfa was consistently winning the upper body ties, creating frames and giving ground in the clinch to create distance while pushing Luktamit off and leading him into knees. Chorfa increasingly started to frame him off and block Luknamit's lead hand with his rear or get inside of it so that he couldn't reach around the head and lock. He was able to use those frames to force mid-clinch where he's really good 
Uh, Chorf has excellent elbows in mid-clinch range, and Luktimit's only answer to that really was to push forward more aggressively and try harder to lock instead of being able to compete with Chorfa at mid-clinch range. And that was kind of his downfall here, as the more Chorfa was able to push off and force mid-clinch, the more the harder Luknamit tried to push forward and lock, and Chorfa would use that to lead him into hard knees and elbows. The end came late in the third round, as Chorfa was posting off with his lead hand and using his rear hand to block Luknamit's lead hand. He had a he had his rear hand positioned like across Luknamit's face, so he couldn't see what was coming at him. Luktimit was trying to push forward, and then Chorfa would collapse the frames onto elbows, and he landed a couple really solid uppercut elbows off those frames that put Luknamit down and finished him in, in the third round. On Tuesday, November 3rd, Fab and Me Bird Ranks It fought Siphonoi Kiat Kriang Krai for the Rajadamnern 115-pound belt. This was a rematch of a fight that happened a couple months ago. Uh, Fab and Me is a, a small Moy mat. He's usually giving up height at 115 pounds, but he's a really good example of how to fight short in Muay Thai. He's great at swarming with punch combinations and parlays them really well into landing body kicks from a close range, whereas Siphonoi is a tall, rangy outside kicker and clincher. In their first fight, Siphonoi was able to score from long range with his kicks, and then when Fab and Me tried to push forward into the pocket, he would hit reactive clinch entries and then beat him up with knees from the clinch. In this fight, Fab and Me was a lot more measured while closing distance, exerting subtle pressure and closing with small steps rather than big committed entries to deny Siphonoi the reactive clinch entries that he got in their first fight. Fab and Me also did a much better job countering his kicks. Whenever Siphonoi threw his defensive teep, Fab and Me would catch it and parlay it into punch-kick combinations. Fab and Me was active at range with his own body kick too, but he was throwing it from closer range this time and making sure to close distance before opening up with it so that Siphonoi couldn't hit pull counters. Fab and Me uh, was doing a really good job staying on him in exchanges and consistently tracking his exits. Whenever he was countering a teep or striking on a clinch break here, Siphonoi would usually back away from the first strike, but Fab and, Fab and Me would shift through into southpaw to continue his combination and find him with his swarming punches or with body kicks. In their first fight, whenever Siphonoi entered the clinch, Fab and Me would lock with him, and it gave Siphonoi an opportunity to get his lock in the clinch and work with knees. Siphonoi is like a, a head taller than Fab and Me at least, and Fab and Me was trying to collar tie with him in their first fight, which wasn't a great idea because it's really hard to get for a smaller fighter to get leverage from that position, and Siphonoi could just wrap his head, lock behind the head, and then he would be able to ex kind of like back out his hips and extend his shoulders so he would have all that space to throw knees where, where Fab and Me was forced upright and couldn't really get any knees or elbows off himself. Uh, but in this fight, Fab and Me made sure to focus on framing off in the clinch or disengaging totally. Instead of trying to lock with Siphonoi, he would control inside the biceps or frame on the face and look to push off and strike on the break. And his strikes in the break were by far Fab and Me's best offense in this fight. He was consistently breaking the clinch and every time he threw Siphonoi off him, he was coming back with four-punch combinations and following up with kicks. He would get the inside bicep control and throw Siphonoi off and then swarm on the break or just kick him in the body as he pushed off. When Siphonoi got the lock and he was able to actually cling to the back of Fabinmi's head and try to pull him down and break his posture, instead of locking with him and accepting it, Fabinmi would fight the grip. He would push up underneath the shoulder and turn out of the clinch. Siphonoi was still able to land some knees in the clinch under Fab and Me's arms, but he wasn't able to lock and combo the knees consistently, and he was getting messed up on breaks, so he was having much less success in the clinch here. Fab and Me was also doing a really good job uh, consistently checking with his rear leg. He would lift the rear leg up to jam Siphonoi's knee entries when he was trying to knee his way into the clinch. 
super impressive performance from Fab and me, although I think he missed weight by, I think, 1.5 pounds. But they, they let it go through and gave him the Raj Damner belt anyway. Because in Muay Thai, it's not too uncommon for one fighter to have a couple pound weight advantage. I was worried when I heard Fab and me was fighting Siphonoi, because Fab and me is my boy, and Siphonoi is a really tough matchup for him. But like I said, it was a super impressive performance from Fab and me. I'm really happy that he won this fight, and I'm looking forward to whatever's next for him. On that same day, Olelex or Kanjai fought Penanawat nor Anawat. Olelek is ranked number two at Roger Dameron's 108-pound division. It was a really impressive clinch performance from Olelek, who pretty thoroughly dominated Penanawat in the clinch. Penanawat was constantly trying to march into the clinch with hand trap elbows, but Olelek did a really good job countering those entries. He would consistently either get inside control on the entries and control it in the biceps and use that to direct Penanawat's balance, or he would enter with his arm over the top and force a stall and over-under. When Pedanuant tried to hook around his arm and pull it out so he could hit those hand trap elbows, Olelek would keep his arm tight to his body and pressure forward while pushing inside the bicep so Pedanuant couldn't pull it out and elbow. The, the best time to do those hand trap elbows is when you can get the guy extending their arm because it's much easier to obviously pull somebody's arm out the further their elbow is away from their body because you, use, you lose that leverage and control having it further out from your center. But by keeping the elbow tight... He, he was able to deny those hand trap elbows and instead get inside bicep control in the clinch. Olelek also did a really good job turning in the, inside the clinch to, to create openings, to swim in for locks, or to find space to elbow. If a guy has an underhook or he's locking around your head, if you turn in the opposite direction away from, the, away from that grip, you, it creates a little bit of space that you can use to swim your arm through or to get off a strike. And Olelek was working really well with that. He would also consistently block Pedanawat's elbows with a, a cross block and counter with his own. He would kind of lay his arm at clinch range across Olelek's guard so that his elbows were blocked. And then Olelek could use that the forearm frame to either land his own elbows or swim underneath the bicep control. Pedanawat was able to land some kicks off his clinch entries when, when he was able to back Olelek up with them. But overall, he didn't have too much offensive success in the fight. Olelek did a great job controlling Pedanawat at mid-clinch range as well, using his extended hands to frame inside the biceps and push him off. He would land elbows off the inside bicep frame, and he did a good job punching out of the clinch, which is really cool. You don't see that in Muay Thai too often. Swaysat Paymanberry stands out as one of the, the only guys I can think of in modern Muay Thai who's, who does a good job at punching inside the clinch. And Olelek would use those inside bicep frames to push off and force Penanawat back. And if he if he accepted it and went with the pressure, then Olelek could move forward and elbow. If he didn't and tried to push inwards, then Olelek would collapse the frame and use that to draw Penanawat into a lock. So he would frame off the bicep, push him away. And then when Penanawat tried to push back hard, he would let him come in and just lock around his head. Olelek was also doing a really good job pivoting away from uh, Penanawat's clinch entries and forcing him to turn and hitting him while Penanawat had to stop and turn. So I haven't seen much from Olelex or Kanjai before, but I have my eye on him after this fight. I really liked what I saw from him there. He's at 108 pounds. I'm not sure how old he is, but usually it's the younger guys that are at those divisions, and they tend to move up as they get older. So it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on him and see what happens with Olelek. On Saturday, October 31st, Tub thumping, sorry, Tub Tim Tong Sword Jor Lek Moeng Non fought Nampu Tora Chatin. This fight was for the Channel 7 112 pound belt. Tub Tim Tong recently knocked out Preu Prao 
earlier this year in a surprise upset. Preu Prao is one of the, the best fighters in the 108-212 pound range. This fight was a rematch of a fight that happened a while ago, which Nam Piao won. Nam Piao was setting up an extra step away from Tub Tim Tong at range and leading Tub Tim Tong onto him. So when Tub Tim Tong entered with his committed punch entries, Nam Piao would lean back and counter with a lead leg kick to the body. In round three, Tub Tim Tong started scoring more with kicks from range, and he used non-committal punch combinations to force Nam Piao back and land kicks. Then after Tub Tim Tong scored a bit at range, Nam Piao was forced to chase to get the points back. When Nam Piao was moving forward, it gave Tub Tim Tong more opportunities to score, um, as when he was set up at long distance, he could just lead Tub Tim Tong onto counters and back away from his kicks. But now that Nam Piao was moving forward and entering with punches, Tub Tim Tong would be able to do the same thing to him to pull back and counter or to teep him off. Nam Piao kicking on the front foot also allowed Tub Tim Tong to catch and counter the kicks easier. Later in the fight, Nam Piao committed harder to his pressure um, started trying to back Tub Tim Tong up to the ropes more, and he had success with that. Instead of trying to close distance with his kicks and throw them from far away, which gave Tub Tim Tong the opportunity to catch and counter, he would stalk him to the ropes and then up, open up with hard committed kicks, and he'd double and triple up on his rear leg body kick in order to score with that more. When his kicks were caught and Tub Tim Tong tried to counter, he would spam right hands off the catch in order to punish and discourage uh, Tub Tim Tong from catching. The, the same thing that Sangmini does a lot, forcing guys to either defend the body or the head. And Nampiao also pushed into the clinch and did a bit of work with elbows there. For some reason, they, they both decided to start dancing off around late in the fourth round, and they spent the whole fifth round just fucking about. I guess both were confident that they won. In the end, the judges called it a split decision for Nampiao. If I remember correctly, this was pretty controversial, and a lot of people thought Tub Tim Tong won. Didn't really have a confident take either way on that, but it was certainly a close fight that could have gone either way. On Friday, October 30th, Ben Lurit Sitwacharachai fought Sakengam Jitwangdon. Ben Lurit is ranked number one in Roger Damner's 108-pound division. Sakengam is ranked number seven at Roger's 108-pound division. This fight happened at 110 pounds. Ben Lurit is a brilliant outside kicker with excellent lateral movement, and Sackingham was looking to pressure and put a pace on him. This was a brilliant fight overall, probably the best fight I've seen over the past couple weeks in Muay Thai. Ben Lurit was working with a hard rear leg kick early, kicking the body at range and landing several hard inside low kicks. He was using excellent angular footwork to turn the more upright and static Sackingham into his kicks and counter off the back foot. He would drop back at an angle when Sackingham entered to hit those inside angle straight counters. You see McGregor do a lot where Southpaw Orthodox, the Orthodox guy, tries to step outside and enter, and the Southpaw just slides back, pivots towards the center line, and hits him with a straight. Ben Lurit was using those really effectively. He was also consistently kicking off his pivots, which I really liked, angling in and out of his kicks and using check hooks to turn Ben Lurit into leg kicks. Um, so whenever Ben Lurit was coming forward, he would be forced to stop and turn and then Ben Lurit would use that moment where he wasn't in position to hit him with a kick or a strong counterpunch. Ben Lurit would use left elbows to counter when Sackingam got in close, and he would often double up on the, the rear elbow and punches. Ben Lurit dropped him in round two uh, when Sackingam came forward with a knee, and Ben Lurit pivoted away from it and threw a check hook that dropped him. After getting dropped in round two, Sackingam came out for round three and committed heavily to pressure. Instead of trying to open up from long range and hit Ben Lurit in the open, he would just walk him down and wait till he got Ben Lurit to the ropes before unloading punch flurries on him. And he had a lot more success with that because he wasn't... When he was attacking at range, Ben Lurit had all that room to back up, angle off, and lead him into counter punches. But when he was just focusing on cutting the ring and getting him to the ropes before he opened up, 
he he ate up that distance and prevented Ben Lurt from being able to back away or angle off and counter. Ben Lurt was still able to find some kicks as Sackingham walked him down and he was able to push off from the clinch land kicks in the break. But overall, Sackingham had a lot more success walking him down and putting boxing combinations on him. Ben Lurt adjusted to that though and he had a much better round four after getting steadily pressured in round three. He was consistently kicking Sackingham on the outside in round four as he tried to close distance, and he did a better job of angling off before he hit the ropes so he could find space in the open to, to light Sackingham up with kicks as he tried to close distance. Sackingham's pressure got increasingly desperate and less measured as he got eaten up on the outside, and he was eating counter kicks when he tried to swarm against the ropes, or Ben Lurt was able to tie him up in the clinch amidst his punch flurries. Ben Lurt also started doubling up on his relay kicks and had a lot of success with that. He would kick the leg to, to break balance and lead Sackingham into a body kick, or he would kick once to, to draw a counter rear hand and then slide another kick immediately after under the arm as Sackingham opened up to punch. After being up big in round four, Bandler was mainly playing keep away in round five, and Sackingham landed some punches pressuring, but it wasn't enough, and Bandler took a clear decision. Sackingham had to really sell out on his pressure and punching offense after getting dropped in round two, because Ben Lurett took such a big lead by dropping him early, uh, but Sackingham lacked an open side threat, so while he was moving forward and pressuring and swarming, Ben Lurett could just kept sneaking out the open side, and he there was nothing really forcing him to stand in front of Sackingham. I thought adding knees or kicks to the open side after he punched, or using the punches to get him circling into knees or kicks, would have helped Ben Lurett a lot by providing a threat just in that direction to prevent Ben Lurett from easily circling out. As for Ben Lurt, he looked excellent in open space and was really dunking on Sackingham there, but he had a lot of trouble when Sackingham was able to back him up to the ropes. And I thought he looked a little bit too willing to back himself up to the ropes and took some unneeded punishment for it. He was doing so much better than Sackingham in open space that if he was more willing to, to stand his ground and land some more open space counters, I think it could have dissuaded Sackingham from pressuring him and helped him take less damage. But overall, an excellent fight. Absolutely must watch. Super impressive performance from Bandler, and I'll be following him closely in the future. Finally, I want to talk a little bit about Superlek Jitmangnon. He's um, a young prospect out of the Jitmangnon gym. I think he's like 17 right now. He was fighting at 108 pounds before, but he's recently moved up to 115, 117. He was fighting Yod Monkol. He fought him on Friday, October the 23rd. Superlek hasn't fought elite competitions in those upper divisions yet, but Yod Monkol is a very solid opponent and a good step up. Superlek controlled the fight comfortably with his kicks on the outside. He was constantly picking up his lead leg to feint teeps and to manipulate rhythm. He was using his teep to keep Yodmonkel at distance, and when he was entering with committed punches, Superlek would counter with lead leg kicks to the body, and when, when he was able to strand Yodmonkel at range with his footwork and teep, he would slam hard, harder rear kicks into his body to score at long range. Later on in the fight, Yodmonkel started trying to close into the clinch, but Superlek showed excellent footwork and clinch defense. He was constantly parrying the hands away and pivoting away when Yodmonkel reached. Um, so Yodmonkel would come forward in a straight line as most clinch entries are linear. You have to reach out in a straight line with your hands to get a hold of the neck. And by parrying the hands away and pivoting off, you can break that line of attack and force the opponent to, to have to stop and turn. And then while they're turning around, you can either get out of range and break the clinch or just land strikes. And Superlek was doing a great job at that. When they got into the clinch, Superlek was diligently framing off and turning to get space in order to swim underneath and hit pummel for his own ties or get leverage by turning to dump Yodmonkol when he locked. So I really liked what I saw from Superlek in the clinch there. 
Uh, he also showed the ability to enter the clinch on his own terms, which is super important for uh, Femu with slick outside footwork. I talk about this a lot across multiple different sports that if you want to be a, the kind of fighter who relies on extending distance and keeping a lot of space between yourself and your opponent at all times, you need to learn how to close distance on your own terms. You can't be far away at all times. It's fine to, to be either all the way in or all the way out, but it's very important to learn when you need to close distance in order to prevent the opponent from tying up or to give them some kind of counter threat so they can't pressure and move forward with impunity. And this is really important for Famuz and Muay Thai especially. If you watch Tao and Chai, he's a great example of how clinching on your terms can throw off the game of a, a pressure clincher. If you watch Tao and Chai's fight with Chu Jerone, um, Tao and Chai would kick him up on the outside and then Chu Jerone would try to pressure him to the ropes and clinch him. But Tao and Chai was usually low on scoring the clinch entries. So when he got to the ropes, he would grab on, he would close distance himself and grab on in a collar tie or a lock. And then Chujaron would have to, he wouldn't get the position he wanted immediately, and he'd have to take a moment and either pummel back into his own position, or Tao and Chai would just be able to, to close him down there and grab on and tie up and hold him until the ref broke them. So it's important for a guy like Superlek, who likes to be on the outside with kicks, to be able to close distance on his own terms. And he looked great there. He looked great inside the clinch as well. Superlek was closing distance with hand trap knees when Yodmonkol walked forward and tried to punch or tried to close into the clinch. Superlek would pull one of the arms out as he reached and knee under it, and he consistently found that knee to the body as Yodmonkol tried to pressure. In the last round, Yodmonkol tried to pressure heavily with his hands to get a finish after he'd been dominated for most of the fight, but Superlek was super calm and composed. He just blocked his punches and pivoted away from his rushes, and when Yodmonkol was able to stick him on the ropes and open up with punch combinations, Superlek would just slip one of them and grab a body lock to tie him up. I was really impressed with Superlek here, and I'm really looking forward to his development as he starts to fight more elite fighters at 115. I'm not really sure I'd call him a prospect at this point, because he's pretty much just on track to become an elite fighter fairly soon, but he's definitely one to keep an eye on, especially as he's still very young and will likely continue improving for a while. Now that we've covered the important action in Thailand, it's time for the main event, the moment you've all been waiting for, as we sit down and really dig deep into the details of the fight that shocked the Muay Thai world. Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira. Hi, 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 boxing. Hi, 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 boxing. Come see the tights. Watch how they fight. With just everything. They hands and feet. And bows and knees This is an art of boxing You would all love to learn Suck them hard with your soul and then kick out and all. 